Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Christ is risen from the dead. By death, he trampled death. And to those within the tombs, he granted life. That is our theme in the Byzantine Catholic Church today. And we will sing over and over again with resounding jubilance and glory and joy, as I am sure that you are singing and praying with joy and glory and exuberance wherever you are for the event of our Lord's resurrection. Perhaps you're listening to this program on the way to church or maybe coming from church or at home or whatever. I just hope that you are experiencing the joy. I mean, in a very palpable way, a very real way, the joy of the resurrection. It certainly is that way for me, and especially because of the brilliance of the liturgy of the church, the prayer of the church. We do so much in the churches, and particularly Eastern churches, to really give a total experience, a real feel of the joy of the resurrection. You can just taste it. In fact, we are going to taste it <laughs> when we open up those wonderful Easter baskets, those Pascha baskets that so much a tradition in the Slavic Byzantine churches. It's the foods that we fasted from, we abstained from all during Lent. You know, the fatty foods, the celebrative foods, the festive foods, the milk, the eggs, the cheese, sausages, hams. You know, I can eat those things anytime during the year. And I enjoy them, and they're wonderful, as is all food from God. But there's something very, very special about that food. When you bite into that piece of sausage or that ham or that egg that's been blessed, has come from the Easter basket after all the services, maybe it's because we've abstained from them. And having done that, it has accomplished part of the goal of the fasting of the Lenten period. And that is so that we can pull back from everything from so many things, so as to appreciate their value that much more. So that when we return to those things, they are ever more sweet to us. They are ever more real to us. And that's exactly what happens to the foods that we eat traditionally in my church on Pascha, 
on Easter Sunday. This feast day in the Byzantine church is a feast day in which there's a lot of what I'm going to call continuity. It connects some things together. Last night at the vigil liturgy, we have what's called the Liturgy of St. Basil, preceded by the Vespers. Now, that is what might be known as the Easter Vigil. And yes, it is a baptismal liturgy. It has the themes of, well, so many references in Scripture of water and of death and resurrection. We read, like, for instance, from the book of Daniel, the three U's and the fiery furnace and so on. Anything that has to do with a dissension and ascension, anything that has to do with the laws of nature being overcome, like the three U's who danced in the fiery furnace, but yet were untouched. Anything that has to do with those kinds of allegories we read during this Easter vigil, we have many, many readings. One of the reasons for that is because traditionally, this is when, of course, people were baptized, and to buy time, so to speak, for the baptisms to happen, the readings were read in the church, and these readings were taken from many, many areas of the Old Testament, having to do with, as I mentioned, descending and ascending, and water, and drowning, and living again, water that gives life, water that drowns, you know, the Jewish people crossing the sea, and the Pharaoh and his army being drowned by that sea. All those kinds of themes are worked throughout the vigil liturgy in the Byzantine church on Holy Saturday. Now, that actually commemorates Christ's resurrection itself. In other words, this is where he broke the power of Satan. He broke the gates of hell. And he's rising up, taking humanity with him. And in the icon, it shows Jesus Christ grabbing Adam and Eve by their arms and pulling them out of what looks like sarcophagi, in other words, like a tomb. And they are symbolic of all of humanity being resurrected with Christ in his resurrection. Now, earlier on Saturday in the morning was the Jerusalem Matin service, a magnificent service, very, very poetic, very, very rich in its imagery and its spirituality, in which we commemorate Christ's descent into hell. So on Good Friday, he dies, is taken down from the cross and buried. But during that Sabbath rest, as the liturgy says, during that Sabbath rest, he goes down into hell and he does the great battle. And many of the themes, the music for the Jerusalem Matins on Saturday in the Byzantine church is very, very triumphant, very militaristic. I mean, it's really quite moving because what's happening is Christ is actually doing battle. That's the great battle. Nobody sees that. Only those who are in Hades or in hell, those who will be released from the bonds of hell after Christ defeats the power of the devil. And then on Saturday evening, the vigil liturgy, as I mentioned, that is when we commemorate Christ actually resurrecting. He's broken the power, the gates of hell, now he's resurrecting. But no one has seen that. No one's witnessed that yet. And we go down with Christ through baptism. We share in his baptism by going down into the water, drowning the old self, and rising up as the new self. We align ourselves with Christ's own descent into hell and his rising up, his resurrection. We do that through baptism. It's an amazing sacrament, amazing. So that brings us into the next day. So you can see how the cycle here moves through the liturgy of the church. And the resurrection matins then becomes the moment in which human beings hear of the resurrection. See, it's already happened. The battle happened. Nobody has seen that except those in hell. The battle happens, Christ rises up, and no one has actually witnessed the resurrection itself, that actual moment. But it is revealed then to the women when Christ appears to them in the flesh. This then is what happens in the morning in the liturgical cycle of the Byzantine church on Easter or Pascha morning. Now this can be 
in the middle of the night, depending on how any parish schedules these services. Oftentimes, it's very traditional to go all the way through the night so that you're singing of the resurrection as the sun is rising. Or you can have them a little bit later in the morning, so I do at my parish because it enables younger families to come. Not everyone can come during the all-night vigil, although it is very exciting to do that. So we have in the matin service, the resurrection matin service, then the first announcement to the first human beings about the reality of the resurrection. Christ appears to the women. And we become then those women. And the pace of the music, the chant, becomes very, very lively. It almost has the rhythm of, of pattering of feet, like the feet of the women running from the tomb to tell the apostles, and they're breathless, to tell them about what they've just encountered. They encounter the resurrection Lord. Isn't it interesting that it is to womanhood that the resurrection was first announced. They are the first witnesses to the resurrected Christ in the flesh. Just as the devil in the Garden of Eden to the first woman Eve came and announced the bad news to the woman, gave her a bad message that brought down the whole cosmos, the whole humanity, so too now Christ reverses that using women again. He comes once again in the garden, only this time it is not the serpent, it is he the Savior, the Messiah, the resurrected Christ, God himself. And this time he gives the good news to the women. So isn't it interesting how God will take what happened, even the negative, and use that same theme, the same elements, but yet undo the damage by precisely the same elements, a garden, women, a message, a reality, this time of life, not of death. During the Resurrection Matins, at the beginning, there is a procession outside of the church, and as we come to the doors of the church, the priest then takes a hand cross, and he strikes the door in a sign of a cross, and the doors magically open, and we enter into the church. At that point, the church is taking on the character of the empty tomb, and we are like those women and the apostles. The first ones, Peter and John, who came to the tomb after the women told them about the resurrection— We are like those people. We take on their persona, and we enter into the tomb, which, of course, is the church. The church is now ablaze. The candles are lit, and no longer is it the sorrowful theme of darkness that we knew just the night before, but now it is full of light and flowers and incense and fragrances. Everything is alive. Everything is white and brilliant, and the choir is exploding with the jubilant melody of the Christ is risen from the dead. By death he trampled death, and to those and in the tombs he granted life. And we sing that over and over again. And then we begin the great canon of the Matins, where it's many, many verses proclaiming the resurrection, and the deacons go up and down through the crowd, incensing at each refrain, shouting, Christ is risen, and the people respond back, indeed he is risen. Oh, it's, it's raucous in a great way. It's just full of jubilation. We pull out all the stops. The roof is practically coming off the church. And you know, you really, really sense that, not only through the liturgy itself, but especially if you've taken those weeks prior to Pascha very seriously, those weeks that we've been leading you through here in Light of the East, those weeks of the great fast, the bright sadness. The more seriously you take that, the more rich and sweet and real is the joy of the resurrection. It truly, truly is real. 
And as we move through the different odes and canons of the resurrection, proclaiming the resurrected Christ, we have, of course, the gospel reading and also the reading of the Easter homily of St. John Chrysostom. It's a tradition of the Byzantine Church, usually at our church, the deacon reads that in a very dramatic way. And then we move into the divine liturgy itself, the Eucharist itself, which, of course, is our physical, spiritual, total participation in the resurrection of Christ. So everything leads up to and culminates in the Eucharist. At the end of the Eucharistic liturgy, the people come forward once more to be anointed with the holy oil and partake of the blessed bread as we proclaim over and over again with jubilant hymns that Christ is risen from the dead by death he trampled death and to those within the graves he granted life. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491, with your help we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Hello, I'm Father Thomas Loya of the Tabor Life Institute. I'm inviting you to an opportunity to be pierced by the sheer beauty of God's plan for your life, to make the connection between God, sex, and the meaning of life. As Father Loya invites you to hear renowned speaker and author Christopher West, Saturday, April 25th at St. Mary Immaculate Parish in Plainfield, Illinois. Original sin for all of us, for every human being on the planet, has disoriented our desires. We often find ourselves hungry for things that don't satisfy the ache, don't satisfy the need. Join Christopher Saturday, April 25th from 6.30 till 9.30 p.m. at St. Mary Immaculate Parish, 15629 South Route 59, Plainfield, Illinois. Limited seating. Register online to coreseminar.evenbright.com. Core spelled C-O-R, bright spelled B-R-I-T-E. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. Glory 
Welcome back to Light of the East on this radiant day of our Christ's resurrection. Again and again I say to you, Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. As I mentioned, following the liturgy, we have the blessing of the Easter baskets, the Pascha foods. And as I said also, it's the foods that are all the fatty foods, those delicious, succulent foods, the things we fasted from, the eggs, the cheese, the sausages, the ham. And I'm telling you, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, well, that's, that's fine. That's fine. But I challenge you to plow into those Easter baskets. It won't hurt you, believe me. It'll only be good for you because they're blessed and they are all within the context of this magnificent, mysterious event, the resurrection. Everything is made anew. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is bad like that. It won't hurt you. So feel free. Partake. As St. John Chrysostom says in his homily, the table is richly laden and everyone is invited. Partake of the feast of the resurrection. It's one of the most beautiful moments is when people have brought their baskets to church. They're richly decorated. They all have a candle in them and the eggs have been richly decorated by hand in the traditional egg decorating style of the Slavic churches. It's sometimes called the pasanki or just decorated egg tradition. Very, very fine, intricate work and just magnificent. And those baskets are filling the narthex of the church and you can smell their fragrances inside of the church as the fragrances of the food collide with the fragrances of the flowers and the incense. And boy, it is just an incredible experience, incredibly sensate, kinesthetic experience. And we go to great lengths to make sure that we sense that so that we're immersed in this mystery. I mean, we just pull out all the stops as well we should. Because Christ himself pulled out all the stops on this day of his resurrection. As I mentioned, this is a resurrection feast that is also a time of continuity. And there's a continuity in some of the liturgical texts and in the iconography of the Christ event of resurrection with his event of his nativity. You see, we tend to think of the liturgical cycle in terms of separate compartmentalized cycles. And it is that to an extent. But there's also a synthesis, a continuity, an integration to it. It's almost as if it's all one movement, all one thread. And the resurrection unites the two, unites Christ coming into the world, his incarnation. And that is united with his resurrection. In fact, in the icon of the nativity, there is the hint of the resurrection. We see Christ in swaddling clothes, which are actually clothes more in the style of a mummy or a body that has been wrapped in a burial shroud. And he's laid in, it was supposed to be a manger, but it's actually, again, it looks like a sarcophagus. And it's set against a darkened background inside of a cave. Now, that should all sound very familiar to Christ being taken down from the cross, covered with fragrant spices and with a shroud wrapped in linen clothes, linen cloth, and then placed in a new tomb, a virginal tomb, in fact. Now, there's a tomb in which no one else had been buried. He was the first to be buried in it, just as he was the first and only one to be born of the Virgin Mary, the only one to occupy her sacred womb. So there's this great continuity in the icon of the resurrection and of the icon of the nativity. In the icon of the resurrection, Christ once again in white clothes, but this time he's once again against a dark background, but that's the dark background of Hades as he's trampling down death. And the sarcophagus have not him in there as it was in Christmas at the nativity icon, 
but it has the figures of Adam and Eve. And behind Christ, he is surrounded then by the figures of people from the Old and the New Testaments, meaning the people that had to wait to enter heaven. They had to wait until Christ broke open the passage to heaven, the way to heaven, by breaking the bonds, the chains of Hades, breaking the devil's power. So the people who waited, all those righteous people who had to wait for the ultimate fulfillment, which could not come until Christ died and rose, until he did battle in Hades and broke all that power of Hades. Until then, they could not enter heaven. Now they can. Now all humanity has the opportunity. The gate is open once again now. The gate that was closed in Eden is now open again because of Christ. In some of the liturgical texts, we find an interesting connection between the nativity event and the resurrection event. During the Matins, for instance, next week, which we call Bright Week, we sing this. You came forth from the grave, O Lord, which had been sealed by the transgressors of the law, just as you were born of the Theotokos. For the bodiless angels did not know how you were incarnate. Likewise, the guardian soldiers did not see the moment of your resurrection. For these two marvels were concealed from the curious minds, but were revealed to those who worship the mystery in faith. Therefore, grant joy and great mercy to us who offer you praise. And here's another verse. When you arose from the tomb, O Christ, you preserved its seals intact, just as in your holy birth a virgin's vow was unbroken. You opened to us the gates of paradise. So you see the metaphor, the allegory there, the seals intact, meaning the seals of the tomb were intact, but also it's a reference to the seal of the Virgin Mary, of her body, of her, of her virginity being preserved. So just as he came from a virginal womb, he resurrected from a virginal tomb. So you can see how through the liturgy of the church, it connects the whole Christ event, especially that cycle of his coming into the world, his incarnation and the purpose, the destiny of that incarnation, which of course was for him to rise from the dead. Now, in rising from the dead, he not only raises himself, he himself, Christ, is not only risen, but he's raising up all humanity. In fact, in the pursuing weeks, we're going to see the fulfillment of that. So, Christ isn't done yet. He scored the ultimate victory. But what he's going to do is going to take our nature, our very nature, in particular our bodies, and he's going to glorify them. He's going to take us with him all the way to the ascension. Forty days after resurrection will be the ascension of our Lord, in which we'll read liturgical texts that talk about how the angels are seeing Christ rising up. They don't know exactly who that is because he is actually stained with blood, but yet his nature is different. And eventually they recognize, the angels themselves recognize that what is rising past and above them to the throne of heaven is human nature itself. Christ's human nature, taking not only his own nature and mounting it on the throne of heaven, but taking our nature with him as we share in Christ's human nature. Imagine that. Imagine it on the throne of God is human nature. This is what the angels themselves could not even behold because they didn't have bodies. So we actually have one better on them, as great as angels are. There is something that we have that they do not. A great gift that God gave us 
We have physicality and spirituality. We are soul and body, matter and spirit. And together, that is refashioned and glorified through Christ's resurrection and mounted on the throne of heaven. The resurrection of our Christ in those days afterwards also show us and fulfill for us our ultimate destiny as human beings, where our bodies will rise up in the last judgment, be reunited with our souls. And for those who are saved, our bodies will be glorified, reconfigured in some very special way. And we get a hint of that in Christ's post-resurrectional appearances. Remember, as we'll see next Sunday on Thomas Sunday, remember how Christ appears in the upper room, although, and it's always in the details, although, as John's gospel says, the doors were locked, the doors were sealed. So he comes through the walls, through the doors, almost like a ghost, like a, a being of pure spirit. Yet, what does he do? He tells Thomas to touch his wounds. So the body was there, just as real, yet somehow it had this extra quality that it could be like a spirit. So it's a spiritualized body. Now this, the Eastern Fathers tell us, is how we were originally made. Adam and Eve were originally more spiritualized in their form. And after original sin, when everything fell, one of the things that came into being was, we might call it a more coarse form of existence, the body as we know it, especially as we know it as dying, getting sick, decaying. All that was never meant to be. We were much more spiritualized in the beginning. So we take on this coarseness, which the Eastern Fathers called the garment of skin. So Jesus Christ comes into that reality, what St. John Paul II would call the historical man, and he takes it on, but he's going to take it not only to some degree he reaches back to our origins, those glorious origins that we had, but he's going to take now this body person, this human body person, and he's going to take it not only to the origins, but beyond that to an even more glorious destiny. And that's what's revealed in his resurrection. That's one of the great joys of the resurrection. It's the fulfillment of a promise, of a hope. It's, it's a proof text because whatever happens to Christ is going to happen to us. He is the ultimate in humanity, the ultimate Christ man. So we see in him everything fulfilled that was promised to us originally and with our ultimate destiny. What a great and magnificent event this is. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Amen.